Now let's turn back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 this morning. <clears throat> Great portion of scripture. And when I, whenever I read this one now, I think of Nazareth. And at Nazareth, there is a sheepfold over there in Israel. There's a, uh, there's a brethren church on a very steep hill. And there's a bookshop and everything attached to it. But not far away, on the slopes, just a bit sort of wherever south, I think, of that, there is the reenactment place of a sheepfold. And there's folks there that are employed full time. And uh, I think I've rec recalled the story of, it was I believe it was Rachel was there. She was the one that was showing our group, the group around that I was with. It was Jill and I and Andrew, but the, we, we sort of mixed with a group, I think, from England. And um, she saw Andrew and thought, this is Andrew's group. And she knew Andrew. And so she just let it go. <laughs> She's a Christian. And she let everybody have the message of the sheepfold. And, uh, and, uh, do it, the, and she basically gave the gospel very clearly. And uh, the other folk, if they weren't saved, knew what she was talking about by the time she finished <laughs> talking to us. And so I remember that sheepfold and the, the, the reenactment and the place where they do the wool and weave it and whatever else and put it all together in garments and it was an interesting afternoon we spent there at that place but this is the sheepfold and the shepherd of the is the door of the sheepfold and he stands there on guard he's keeping us safe in the fold and if you're a Christian you're in the fold and here in John chapter 10 and what we just sung was a psalm wasn't it that's Psalm 23, and there's a great portion of, to do with sheep. And, and pastors today are called under-shepherds. That's, that's a name for them. And uh, shepherding the flock. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 34, there's much to say there. It has much to say about the shepherds of Israel and how wicked they were, how they had gone from their original purpose. Here in the Gospel of John, we have 34 times the word life is mentioned. One of the key words of the, apostle, the epistle here, the Gospel here. This was Christ's purpose for coming and living life, wasn't it? That he might give us life. In John 10.10, 10, we are uh, pointed to abundant life that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just physical life. This is eternal life, this abundant life. When you have the Lord Jesus as your Savior and know the truth of the word, we ought to be able to rejoice in the abundant life that we have in Christ Jesus. This is only the beginning, a precursor to wonderful things that we will have for all eternity because of the life that Jesus Christ has given us. And so we can praise him this morning, that he came to give us life. In him and him alone is this abundant life, is it not? I remember what Paul said to the Athenians there when he, in Acts chapter 17, 25 and 28. He was talking to these people who, who, were, who were religious but lost, and they had that that altar or whatever it was to the unknown God and Paul said to the unknown God whom ye ignorantly worship 
him I declare unto you. They had all this religion going, but they didn't have God. They didn't have life. They didn't know what it was to know the true eternal God. And Paul said to them, in him we live and move and have our being. And I pray today that you live and move and have your being through the abundant life that Jesus Christ has given you through his son. I mean, God has given through Jesus Christ his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word that encourages us today from John 10. Lord, you are the, the wonderful shepherd that takes care of the sheep, the lost sheep, as well as the sheep that are in the fold. And I pray, Lord, that the other sheep that you have that are not of this fold, which we are, Lord, today, I thank you for that. And you've got these different folds that you're taking care of. Bless the word to our hearts, encourage us. And Heavenly Father, we pray for those that are not well today and that are in hospital. Lord, we do pray for their recovery physically and spiritually, Lord, that they might be able to draw close to you, trust in you, lean on you as we've just sung. Learn of you and know what it is to have your presence in their life and know what it is to have eternal life and the assurance of it. Lord, we do pray for Andrew in Israel that you minister to him today as he, he, he meets today over there to share the word with those who are lost of the other fold, as it were, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Lord, and I pray that the... the uh, the turmoil that's happening right around that country uh, might make them in Israel think of eternity because it can come very quick to us and particularly in those war-torn places. Lord, we pray that the message might go out and people would heed and understand and know that the Lord Jesus is the Saviour. We ask in his precious name. Amen. <clears throat> If you've got the bulletin, you have an outline in that. And we notice, first of all, the enemies of this new life in Christ. In John 10 and verse 10, we read, The thief, thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Uh, thieves and robbers. Strangers and hirelings, it talks about in verse 1 and other verses in this portion of Scripture. Satan is out to rob the church of the basic life in Christ Jesus, is he not? This gift of abundant life. He does not want it preached. He does not want it shared. How many times have we been silenced by the fear of man of sharing the gospel with them? Pulpits and people holding back the word of God to go and give life to the individual, the life of the Lord Jesus. The scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, if our gospel is hidden, it is hidden from those that are lost. For, God, for the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine in unto them. So there's the enemy of, and the enemies of the, this new life in Christ. And here in this portion where it's talking about the good shepherd and the Lord Jesus giving us life, it talks about these enemies. 
in verse 1, we read, Verily I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. A thief and a robber. And I don't want you to be thieved, as it were, or robbed of eternal life that could be yours because you're not being told. We've had our children, they've grown up, they're married, they're in the church. But then the grandchildren come. And it's good to be able to share with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and pray for them and urge upon them the need to get saved and trust the good shepherd. Satan is out to stop this. The enemies are deceptive in their methods. As you notice the outline there, the enemies of the gospel insist that there is more than one door in John 10, 1, some other way. <laughs> How many ways are there? <laughs> There's one way to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one way. There's one person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. And this we can say with absolute confidence, can, can we not this morning? There is one way. And people will say, how did you know your way is the right way? <laughs> the Bible says so. And Christians of all different... Here we've got an escapee. <laughs> He's going back. Not John, the other. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, I would like to take the truth of God's word out of circulation today and say there is this way and that way. And how do you know you've got the right way? The Bible tells me so. Remember the, story, the song you used to sing at Sunday school? <laughs> The Bible tells me so. Here in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He doesn't come with a red tail and a pitchfork and all dressed up in a red suit. No, he comes as an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing that his ministers, you say ministers of Satan, yes, in pulpits too, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. And they might come knocking on your door too, provoked, saying this is the way. You're walking in the wrong way and trying to persuade you otherwise. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. And I think this one's for the modern church that we have around today. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and there is many, and I think we went through it at prayer meeting, a whole list for two weeks of warnings about other ways and the false apostles and the deceitful workers presenting a different way, they say, to God. In verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, 
the word affairs in verse 4, see that word there? The word affairs is the Greek word pragmatia. Where do you think, or what word do you think we get from that? Pragmatic approach to ministry. That's happening everywhere in most churches all around the world. That is, if it works, it must be right. You see? That's the pragmatic approach. And the affairs of this world is using the worldly method to get people supposedly saved. And we need to take the warnings of God's word and saying we don't use the affairs of this world. We don't become pragmatic in our approach to ministry and set aside the old-fashioned gospel to win people by different methods and means to the Lord. The Holy Spirit will convict people by the preaching of the word to know and understand what it's saying to them and convict them to be saved. And let's use the, that method. <laughs> Remember Simon the sorcerer? In Acts chapter 8, we won't turn there, that he, he saw that the, by laying on of the apostles' hands that people received the Holy Spirit and then he offered a bribe, as it were, to them, uh, Paul and his companions, to have this gift also. And Paul said, repent of this thy wickedness. There was no other way but one way. And it's not going to be through bribery. It's not going to be through pragmatism or the approach and method of ministry. The enemies are deceptive in their methods and they're increased without number today, saying there is another way to do it. The enemies are defective in their message as well. <clears throat> the voice verbalizes and articulates the... Uh, identity, reality, and authority of the message that is preached. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How shall they hear without a preacher? And the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to them that don't believe, as we've already said from Corinthians. They are defective in what they are saying in the message that comes from their lips, that's coming from their heart. How many modern voices rattle hollow in the message because it fails to give the clear-cut gospel message that people might be saved from their sin and given eternal life in Jesus Christ. Liberalism, humanism, communism, all the sorts of saviors, they say, of mankind. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. Preach the word, sound forth the gospel. Be instant, in season, out of season. At all times, at all places, prepared to preach the gospel. You say, well, I'm not a pastor, I don't preach. <laughs> all of us preach a message. All of us set an example. Do we have integrity? The message we say, is it, live, is it backed up by the life we live? I pray that it is. There are, the enemies of the gospel are defective in their message, deceptive in their methods, and thirdly, destructive in their motives. Um, back in first, uh, John's, John's Gospel, chapter 10, and verse 10, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his motive. 
to kill, destroy, to take. They don't want to give, they want to take. You listen to Taylor evangelists today. Some seem to start well, but after running a little while and you're listening, I mean, not that you do, not that we have a lot of them, but we are increasingly so, there are, they are there, that <clears throat> they come up with the fact of what? <laughs> Money, give me. If you buy this, or if you buy that, you know, what's the motive behind there? And praise God for those that don't have that motive that get the message out. As Paul said, whether in pretense or in truth that Christ is preached, in that I do rejoice. We do rejoice if the gospel is going out. But if the motive is there that is wrong, then it is hard for the message to be heard over the motive of the ministry of that, of that group. They don't quicken the dead. They don't bless the damned. They steal and destroy. They kill, as the scripture says here. Um, in Jude chapter, well, chapters only one, verse four, it reads, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. They want, they desire, they try to get Instead of give, they're turning the grace of God, turning that which should be given freely by the grace of God into benefiting themselves. In the book of Galatians, chapter 1, <clears throat> the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 6 through to 10, we read a portion here. They don't, didn't only use or turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Here in Galatians 1, they turned the grace of God into legalism. In chapter 1, verse 6, we read, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And Paul couldn't believe that they'd turned, they'd switched. That they were saying, yes, you're saved by grace, but this is all the laws you have to keep. And we don't have to keep any laws. We do, because we love the Lord, keep his law, but we don't do it to become a Christian, do we? And so here they were making people do things to be saved and to say, yes, I'm saved because I do this and I do that and get circumcised or whatever other law they had going, which is not another, Paul said, it's not another gospel, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. And so there is no other gospel. There is no other way. There is one way. And the enemies are destructive in their motives. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Turning the grace of God into legalism. And also turning the grace of God. There was another one here uh, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2 turning the grace of God into licentiousness. If we go there, chapter 6 of the book of Romans and verses 1 and 2. This is the enemies that are deadening the clear-cut message of the gospel of the good shepherd going out. They climb up some other way, as the scripture in Romans. Uh, I keep have Romans on my mind. It's the it's, uh, book of John says that... What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 
How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? In verses 14 and 15 of the same chapter, Paul said this, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And Paul said what? God forbid. God forbid. We don't just go live as we please because we're saved by grace. It doesn't give us liberty or license to sin. It gives us liberty to live in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a difference. There will be a difference. So the source of new life, first of all, we see the enemies of this new life in Christ, deceptive in their methods, defective in their message, and destructive in their motives. The second point here, the certainties of this new life in Christ. Back there in verse 10, and we really center in on verse 10 of that chapter. In the second part of that, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. This victorious, continuous life in Christ is not just a philosophy or a theology. It is a person. And we are to have a personal relationship with that person, the Lord Jesus, concerning whom there are certainties that we cannot ignore or escape. And just mentioning too this morning, this new life in Christ is historically observable. As we go back in history, as we go back in the pages of God's word, we, see, we can see, we can observe that this is true. And I believe the world doesn't, <coughs> excuse me, doesn't deny this. It, it still uses the dates that we use that are based on the Christian calendar, as it were. You know, BC, AD, they try to change it. They, they tried to change it a few years ago. I don't think that they've succeeded because people have got it here. <laughs> it, 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 history revolves around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will in the future. It has in the past. <laughs> what God has done is done and it's historically accurate and we observable as we look at it and as we see the Lord Jesus this life was manifested through him by the incarnation God manifest in the flesh prophesied and then fulfilled in prophecy the incarnation of the Son of God took upon himself the form of a man it was demonstrated in the crucifixion this life in Christ his life for our life. He stood in our place. He took our sin upon himself on the tree. His crucifixion was that which was going to pay for our sins. We were dead in trespasses and sins. It was vindicated by the resurrection. And that ties with 1 John chapter 2 where God was propitiated God was satisfied the father was satisfied with the finished sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and that was vindicated by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus because his perfect life his perfect death his perfect blood God the father he can be raised from the dead because he completely satisfied the holy demands of a righteous God in paying for the sins of mankind <clears throat> Praise God that I don't have to pay for my sins. Just one sin of yours or mine would condemn us for eternity, but Jesus Christ paid for them through what he did for us. 
There's a certainty of this new life. And I like, as Paul argues for the defense of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ be, be dead and be not raised, we are of all men most miserable. What a waste of time Christianity would be if Christ had not been raised. But he has been raised, he goes on to talk about. Then he goes and talks about our resurrection based on his resurrection. If he wasn't raised, we couldn't be, but he has been and we will be. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life as we've behind us here. <clears throat> I am come, he said, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly in the reference we're looking at there this morning. In 1 John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4, we read that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life. He's talking about the Lord Jesus. They've seen, they've looked upon, their hands have handled. For the, the life was manifested and we have seen it. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard, he said, declare we unto you that ye also might have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy might be full. These things are told. These things are recorded. These things about the Lord Jesus, his coming, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection are written that we might have joy in our life because we know we're on our way to eternal bliss in heaven. And this life he has given to us. Have you got this life? Are you born again? Are you saved? This new life in Christ is dynamically obtainable as we just met, invited you. <laughs> and I said, this is life is in Christ. In John 10, 28, we read there, and I give unto them eternal life. Maybe you've read through the Gospel of John. And how many times does it tell us we've got eternal Eternal, eternal, <laughs> eternal life, everlasting. If you, if you want to look up another word in the, in the context of John's gospel. Eternal, everlasting life. Why is it, well, why do you go to the doctor when you get sick? Well, I don't feel good. <laughs> but if you don't feel good for long enough, what might happen? You might die. <laughs> yeah, that's why we go to the doctor, that we don't die. <laughs> How many of you have, have got something, ache or a pain somewhere, and think, oh, I've got cancer? <laughs> Don't you think that? You know, there's ache here, there, or kidney, or... And you think, I'm going to die. <laughs> and then we lay awake all night thinking, I'm going to die. <laughs> I've got to get to the doctor tomorrow. <laughs> we don't want to die, do we? What do we want to do? We want to live. We've started life here, and we want to live for eternity. That's in the heart of man. And they're trying to extend life. I don't know that it, if it's extended with all the aches and pains I'm starting to get, I don't know that it would be a pleasant long life. And who was I talking to this week about? Those guys back in Noah's day, in Adam's day, they lived 900 and something years. And, and, and they would have been feeling like we do when we're 80 for 100 years and they were feeling like they were 90, like we did when we were 90 for 100 years. <laughs> that would be a painfully long time <laughs> to live in that state. <laughs> and you know, it's by the mercy of God that we die. 
It's by the mercy of God he's given us three score and ten years, seventy years. And if by strength we live longer. Because, you know, we go into eternity, if we're Christians, into the bliss of heaven. Eternal life. It does say in scripture, to get our thinking right, we rejoice when a baby's born, don't we? But what does it say in scripture? We ought to rejoice when one dies. Why? Because the race has been run, the victory has been gained, they're now absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's when we should rejoice. But when a little one comes in, as a pastor, I think, I wonder where their life will go. I wonder what pains they'll have to go through. I, I do, I, maybe I'm a negative thinker. I don't know. I think of all, you know, what I've been, what I've been through in life myself and the things that they're going to have to face. The accidents or divine appointments and, and all the sicknesses. The shortness or length of life. But when you're gone, you're gone. And if you're a Christian, you're gone to heaven. You're gone to eternal life with the Lord Jesus. This new, new life in Christ is dynamically available to all who will give ear and heed in their heart to believe. Won't you believe today? You're missing out on eternity if you don't believe while you have life down here. Neither by the blood of bulls and goats and calves. Say, let me start again. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, what does it say? Eternal redemption for us. Wherefore, in Hebrews again, 7.25, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. And Romans 10.8 and 9, that if thou shalt what? Believe, confess and believe. You will be saved. And then he reverses the order of the confess and believe in, the, in about verse 13. Have we done that? Are we his? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's available today. The day of grace is still going. Are you saved? Thirdly, and the last point, we've seen the enemies of this new life in Christ. <clears throat> we've seen the certainties of this new life in Christ. It's observable and obtainable. And the qualities of this new life in Christ, there are three things about this new life in Christ, notice as we consider them. First of all, it is a new life which is appealing. <laughs> and I can imagine, and I saw a picture of it while I was reading some of uh, things in preparation this week, is, as it were, the, the Lord's hands. He just had your hands out like this, from Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, where the Lord's saying, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And as we look around the world, and as we hear newscasters putting the news on day after day, 24 hours a day, and see all the things that are happening, and unsaved people are worried, unsaved people are concerned, what's going on? Christians, you know what's going on. You know where it's all headed. We don't have to be fretting and afraid and fearful. This new life in Christ is more appealing today than ever it was. As Brother Tony pointed out in the adult class this morning, you know, we can, we can have all these things, but things don't satisfy. Things don't content us. 
that the person that will content us is the Lord Jesus. Why aren't people satisfied when they get a million dollars? There's a lot of millionaires around now. (laughs) Um, Let's say a billion. Why aren't people satisfied when they get a billion dollars? Why do they go? It'll be trillionaires. Maybe they'll be trillionaires. I don't know if they'll ever get to that point. Why aren't they satisfied when they've got that much? Because in the heart of man, we we have a covetous heart. We want and want and we want to accumulate it upon our lust. That's what all these in Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastics are about and in the Gospels. Verses, one after the other. If, if the Lord wrote so many verses, and this is only a few from Psalms and, and the three, three pages of them, to warn us about riches, don't you think we should heed that? that? He, he knows our basic need. He knows what we need more than anything. We need life in Christ. And this life is appealing. <laughs> what does it say in John chapter 14? I go and prepare a place for you that where I am there ye may be also set your affections on things above and in John I mean Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 it talks about the the Lord talks about setting our affection if we if our heart is on the things of this world we gravitate to a lowly state of life even though we've been millionaires or billionaires it's not what satisfies. What satisfies and what is appealing is what God offers through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. The meaning of the Good Shepherd. <laughs> he giveth his life for the sheep, as it tells us in our verses today. He gives his life for the sheep. Uh, <clears throat> and he causes only that which is good for you and me to happen. Have you had some tragedies happen? Probably. We live in a sinful world. And you say, that's not good. Yes, it is. You see, we look at it through the eyes of human thinking. God looking at it from eternity. Those troublesome times, as was said by Sister Vicky this week at hospital in Wangaratta, so there are troublesome times when she had the problems back there some years ago. Drew her nearer to the Lord than she had been and she appreciated that for that reason. You see, these hard times can draw us closer to God. They can drive us away if we have the wrong attitude toward them. But they also can draw us near to the Lord, to his will and purpose for our life. And Romans 8.28, and we know that all things happen what for the good to them that love him for them that are called according all things work together for good to them that love god it is an appealing life we know that the good shepherd will look after us we had a few sheep on the farm i was raised on not a lot and uh, we had sheep later on that was someone else's sheep we weren't the shepherds of them we were just there to make sure they get out the fences and things but uh, Sheep are animals that follow their leader. And we ought to be following the Lord. Sheep are animals that need tending, don't they, Brother Chris? And tending them every day. <laughs> uh, thousands of them. <laughs> As they shear. And Matthew maybe too. You're back there with a grin. 
shearing the sheep. But they need looking after, need crutching, need drenching, need all those things that... <laughs> we did drenching different to you guys. You've got to get in a gun. We had a concrete hole in the ground. It was concrete like a big bathtub. And, uh, uh, and the sheep had to go through and it was on a narrow race. I remember where it was, right where it was, uh, near that sycamore tree <laughs> on the farm. And the sheep tried to, what do they try to do when they come to it? Jump. <laughs> and that landed right in the middle and they went right under. <laughs> all the water in the, in the, the dip. <laughs> and if they didn't go under, us kids were all standing on the rails beside to make sure they did. <laughs> Prod them and get them under to drench them. You know, sometimes we Christians need some <laughs> spiritual drenching and cleansing. We need shearing. Uh, uh, I read it today about fleecing too. <laughs> we, we, don't, we won't do that. <laughs> Fleecing the sheep. But the good shepherd is good to us, you know. He looks after us all the way. Um, <clears throat> it's an appealing life if you but give ear and listen to what it's about. And how many billions of people don't even want to hear the message? You go to Israel and mention the name Jesus and you need to run for, and duck for cover in a lot of places because they do not like the name Jesus. And uh, one day they will, but not right now. <laughs> Majority just don't want that. That's appealing. I pray that you've heard and heard the appeal of the Lord, come unto me. It's a new life which is abounding, as it reads in our text here today. <clears throat> in the last part of verse 10, that they might have it and might have it more what? Abundantly. If you've heard and read of testimonies of servants of God in the times past who have given their life, and Tony challenged us to this this morning in the class, there, you know, why is it that we don't, why is it that the young people are not giving their lives to a lifetime of service like they used to in yesteryears? Thousands of them. Why is it? Because... They say it's not appealing. It costs too much. I'm not willing to pay the sacrifice of giving my life to the Lord. I sort of don't trust him. He'll keep me poor. <laughs> keep me humble. Good place to be for a minister. <laughs> but it's an abounding life and it's an abundant life. And it's going to go on for eternity. And the, the closer we draw to the Lord and the more we seek to serve him with all of our strength and all of our heart and understanding, the more blessings there will be for eternity, I believe. Reward is according to service. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 talks about. Have we a desire for this abundant life that the Lord abounds toward us? Ephesians 1, 8 to 10 talks of that. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. Our Colossians 2, 9 and 10 talk about this abundant life that John refers to here in the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd. And read the history, read the Old Testament, read what the Lord did, read as we touched in Hebrews 11 this morning in the adult class there about the people that have served the Lord and honoured him with their life. They were sawn asunder, you say, oh, well, abundant life, yeah. <laughs> but what about the next life? What do they get for having gone through that martyrdom that they went through? They are now rejoicing, and they would, if they could, come and talk to, to us today over the balcony of heaven and say, it's worth it, it's worth it. Give your life to him, surrender to him. It's eternity that's 
important. Not down there, not the few years you've got in life down there. Eternity. It's an abounding and abundant life. And thirdly and lastly, it is a new life which is abiding. Not only appealing and abounding, but it's abiding. It is eternal, exciting, enriching, and everlasting. The places I've been because I've been in the ministry, I wouldn't have been if I hadn't been in the ministry. And think of Pastor McConnell. He's here, there, and everywhere, isn't he? He's, he, uh, he's preached in Ireland in Paisley's pulpit. He, he's, he's preached around America. He's, and uh, I don't get these invitations. I must be... I just like sticking at home. I'm a bit of a homebody. <laughs> but I, well, uh, yes, I've gone, yeah. Uh, you remember way back when I had to, they were asking me to speak up in um, Cairns or up that way, Atherton, uh, Buddy Smith. And um, <clears throat> it was there somewhere. Anyway, and I had never flown an aeroplane before. <laughs> I thought, well, my first flight was going to be straight up in a rocket, the Rapture. <laughs> but... but <laughs> It was in an aeroplane, <laughs> so I took off like that and, <clears throat> and got to minister and see the place up there that I wouldn't have if I hadn't been a pastor. Now, most of you have probably travelled up there and been and done that and gone a lot further than that, but I, I count it as a privilege. Going to Israel, I, w I wouldn't have gone unless I was the pastor of the church because Andrew, didn't you, Andrew, if you're listening, <laughs> in Israel... He, he, he twisted my arm and said, you've got to come. You're the pastor of the church that was sent from, so you've got to come to Israel. And he's trying again, aren't you, Andrew? <laughs> to get us to Israel. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought, what is the immediate thing you think? If I go to Israel, I want, might get shot. <laughs> it's dangerous over there. Hey, I think it's safer in Israel than it is in Australia. Anywhere you walk in Israel, there's people with guns, young, young people in the army. They're everywhere. They're in the bus stops, they're in the supermarkets, they're in the toy stores. And it, it, it's safe. You, you have young people, girls on their own hitchhiking at night. You say, you wouldn't do that in Australia. But you see, God takes us places and gives us an abundant life and blessings. If we give ourselves to his work and his ministry, it's abiding life, it's eternal. What a glorious gift for those who are prepared to receive the gift. As we've learned that the source of this life is in Christ and it's eternal life. <clears throat> Give me a verse that you remember or have recalled, memorized, meditated upon that has eternal in it. Yeah, I, I knew that one would come out first. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in, in him should not perish, but have what? No. Everlasting, everlasting life. How long is everlasting? It's for eternity. And it's a gift down here that you received when it was offered to you. And some people say, no, it must be a trick in that. There must be something behind it. no. <laughs> The Lord gives it. We can't, we can't work our way to heaven in any way, can we? It's through him. And best of all, when it's all said and done, this is what will happen. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
And John 10, verse 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, safe in the hand of the Lord Jesus. Are you safe in his hands? Have you believed since you've heard the gospel message on the Lord Jesus? If you haven't, we invite you to come as his hands beckon you today. Come unto me, he said, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It's an unspeakable gift. To reject the unspeakable gift, there is punishment for eternity. Receive, obey the gospel today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May it be a blessing to us to know the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, the Glorious Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have eternal life. And Lord, when we are weighed down with the weight of troubles today, may we think ahead. May we think of eternity. May we think of this abundant life, this abiding life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, abounding life. And be thankful and grateful and give that thanks to the Lord for what he has done for us. Bless the one who is here that's unsaved that they might trust and become your children, your sheep. And come into the fold and be guarded by the Lord throughout their life. And Lord, for those of us who are in the fold, may we continually rejoice and invite others to come to the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.